Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish con Salsa Podcast, the show for Spanish learners that love music, travel, and culture. Close your grammar textbooks, shut down the language apps, and open your ears to how Spanish is spoken in the real world. Let us show you how to go from beginner to bilingual. Here is your host, certified language coach, Tamara Marí. Hola, bienvenidos al episodio 115. Welcome to episode 115 of the Learn Spanish con Salsa podcast. In this episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages. Now, when Lindsay decided to spend a whole year traveling the world, she really had a desire to connect with people and experience the culture of each and every country she visited. Now, she did expect to meet people in different places and to tell their stories. And she did this as a part of a project that she worked on called Language Stories, uh, which really explores uh, different cultures throughout Latin America and other parts of the world. Uh, and it's a really, really interesting podcast. I suggest that you check it out after you listen to our conversation because she tells the stories of people in the places that she visited as she talked to them. Now, one thing that happened on her trip is that she didn't expect to end up in a small cave in this remote village of Cuba after a stranger had sort of guided her and her husband there to check it out, right? So this is one of those adventures that she had on her trip. Lindsay learned Spanish because she was fascinated by Shakira. So she wanted to learn the lyrics to a Shakira song. So we definitely have that in common with using music to learn languages. And she talks about how knowing Spanish really enriched her travel experiences. In our conversation, she shares her insights from her journey throughout Latin America and the world during her year of travel. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lindsay Williams. Hola, Lindsay. Bienvenida al podcast Learn Spanish con Salsa. Hola, gracias. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you. I know that uh, you started Lindsay Does Languages, and I was a, a fan before I got to meet you, watching your YouTube channel and all the different reasons to learn almost almost every language you can think of <laughs> that you covered <laughs> on your YouTube channel. So can you just tell um, my listeners who may not have heard of you before just a little bit about you and what made you start Lindsay Does Languages? Yeah. Oh, what made me start? Wow. Back in 2012 is when I started Lindsay's Languages. It was very different back then. It was offline. It was um, private French, Spanish and English tuition, driving around everywhere to people's houses and going into schools and kind of big like factories. I was teaching English in a garlic bread factory. That was fun. <laughs> and so that all started in 2012. And then in 2014, when my husband was training to become a teacher and it was like, well, wherever you get a job, when you finish your training, we can just move and I can just, you know, do what I do, wherever that happens to be. And I thought, okay, but what happens in the meantime? And so I looked into teaching online, started doing that, much preferred it. I was no longer sat in traffic for like half an hour in between every lesson. And so then moved everything online from there, really, in about 2014. And uh, that's the, the beginning bit, really. What started you just with your passion for languages? Because I know there are a lot of people who, you know, you may take language in school, right? And you're you're sort of forced to pick a foreign language and you, you may dabble in it a little bit. But 
everyone doesn't really develop this real desire to communicate and learn different languages. So what do you think really sparked that for you to really turn this into more of a business where you're actually providing resources for language learners on lots of different languages? Yeah, well, I was never forced to take a language initially at school. So I started with French in primary and it was like an extracurricular thing because it wasn't compulsory to do a language in primary school at that time. It is now, but it wasn't then. And so I went to French because they gave us croissants at the end of term. So that was nice. Um, you know, so every every time my mum would say, would oh, you want me to renew your French? I'd say, yes, that's the one with the croissants. I like that club. I want to keep going. Um, and then I wanted to do Spanish when I was about like 13 and picking my exam because of Shakira. So Spanish music has always been a huge connection for me there. And um, yeah, because of that, then I thought, okay, well, maybe I could do Spanish. You know, if I've done French up to this point, then it's not that much different. Surely I know how to learn a language. I've done that bit. It's just different words. I can do it. But my school was kind of new to having multiple languages like they didn't offer us Spanish until then and so if you wanted to do Spanish you had to still do French so I was like okay it's gonna be worth it you know because I wanted to do Spanish that much and so I just kept up with the French as well and I'm really really glad actually that I did because then later on when I went to pick like my kind of degree stuff and start in there that was for me, I did it like distance learning part time, right? So I was, you know, working, like doing Lindida's languages. I started that halfway through my degree and I was doing all that stuff at the same time. But in the very beginning of my degree, it was like, okay, here's the beginner French and Spanish courses that you can do, or you can do Italian, German, or Chinese. And I was like, well, obviously I'm going to do that <laughs> because I've done that French and Spanish. That's too easy. Let me try something new. So I decided to do those and they were still, you know, even though it was kind of essentially teaching myself in the sense that they sent the resources and they provided the, you know, online lessons, even back then, it was really like ahead of its time. They provided all the online lessons and stuff for it, but I was still responsible in essence. And then one day in between my lessons, when I was driving in between the, the lessons for teaching with Lindsay Does Languages, I was in a library and I would always go to this library on that afternoon in between the different places I had to be because it was just convenient to kind of hang out for like half an hour. And I saw this book on the shelf that was like complete Dutch, teach yourself complete Dutch, right? And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm doing German right now. I know it's like a lot of languages, but I could give it a go. It'd be interesting to see at the very least how similar it is to German. So I took the book got it out from the library and took it home, booked myself uh, some lessons on italki and just that was that was it. You know, I thought I, because I'd started as well with Lindsay's languages, this was like 2014, right? So I thought if I'm going to be writing on this website and, you know, talking about learning languages and how good it is, it's only fair that I should be doing one myself. And somehow my brain didn't register that the degree stuff also counted as language learning. That felt different. <laughs> so it was like, I need to be learning a new language. <laughs> Let me try Dutch. And that's then where everything kind of just snowballed, really. And I've been teaching myself languages ever since. 
Wow, that's interesting that you, it's funny how you didn't register like what you did in school as language learning. And it's funny because often when people ask me about learning Spanish, I usually don't count the Spanish I took in school either. I think it's mainly just because, at least from my experience, it wasn't taught very well, to be honest. Like the way that uh, language learning is approached here in the U.S. is more of it's just a, I think it's almost like a fun hobby. Like it's like, oh, it's nice to know you'll learn some grammar, but there's no like conversational uh, Spanish, well, at least at the time when I was, you know, in school, I think it's gotten a little bit better the past few years. But, you know, it was very much like grammar focused. It was very much anecdotal, like, oh, you can learn a few words. Maybe, you know, the alphabet, you may know the seasons, but like we didn't actually get into any in-depth understanding of how to even have a conversation with a native speaker. If they were to walk in the room, we would all just be dumbfounded. So it was really, um, I just really discounted it as well. And like, I count my Spanish learning is when I picked it up as an adult. Like I don't really think about <laughs> my exposure in school. I think it's just because it wasn't very useful, but that's just my perception of it. Yeah. And also like when I say, oh, I've been learning, you know, by the time I left school, I've been learning Spanish for four years, you know, the two exam years, kind of two years each, right? But then I went to Costa Rica and I was there for three months with a family teaching English, but like immersed and living there. And I had the, you know, I'm not saying I, I never like to kind of perpetuate the myth that just go to the place and you'll be immersed and you'll be fluent. That's not true. I had four years still of, of school Spanish knowledge but then had never put it into practice and I think that's the thing like you're saying it's so kind of almost artificial in a classroom I think there needs to be like a combination doesn't there of both yeah definitely I mean I think you need that foundation because I think it definitely did help me to have the foundation because I wasn't sitting there trying to figure out well what is an AR verb and what you know like but at the same time it was very hard for me to understand what people were saying when they were speaking because I just hadn't had that exposure. So you mentioned that, that you went to Costa Rica and you spent three months there. But just I know that you also have this project where you uh, started a, a podcast called Language Stories. Um, and I'm curious just just what made you start that particular project and how you think sort of incorporating traveling into language learning really enhances your experience as a learner. Oh, yeah. OK, so. I finished my degree like 2015 and, you know, we knew me and my husband, we knew that like we wanted to take this sort of extended travel somewhere at some point. And after we got married, we thought, OK, maybe that would be a good time to kind of go the, the year after. Right. So we initially were going to do <laughs> kind of the complete opposite and we were going to go like overland across like Europe and, and Asia down towards like Papua New Guinea. But then I finished this degree, right? I just spent all this time learning Spanish, learning about all these places that spoke Spanish. <laughs> and all I'd been to was Spain and Costa Rica for a little bit. And I thought, mm, mm, I feel like maybe we should go to Latin America instead. How do you feel about that? My husband's like, yeah, sure, it's fine. We can do that. I can learn some Spanish. It'd be easier for, you know, for, for him to, to learn one language a little bit of rather than us both trying to battle with multiple languages. So that's kind of how it came about to then be Latin America. But then we didn't just want to go places on a very sort of superficial level, see it and be like, oh, look, Chichen Itza. Take a picture. Oh, look, there's a, I don't know, like a someone playing a guitar on the street in Cuba photo done you know none of that felt like if this was going to be a thing this was going to be a thing right and so 
one of his big passions is filmmaking like his whole kind of background is in like filmmaking and stuff and obviously with me it's language and so we thought well how could we combine this let's make a documentary series about languages <laughs> as you do what else would you do for your honeymoon right <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so um, so we kind of I, I sat down and I and I knew that in my um, dissertation for the Spanish I'd written about Spanish living alongside languages in different parts of the world. So Spanish in the US with, alongside English, in Catalonia with Catalan and in Paraguay with Guarani. I never knew, that was the one like I knew the least about, right? I've been to Barcelona, I've been, I'd been to the US a little bit, but, and there's obviously so much more US culture that kind of permeates over here than there is Paraguayan. <laughs> So little. And so that was kind of intriguing. I thought, well, I know there's that going on there. And I know from like kind of basic history knowledge that there's like, there were Aztecs up there and there were Incas down there. So there must be some language stuff going on beyond Spanish, right? And beyond obviously Portuguese in Brazil and other official languages, of course, too. But the more that we looked into it, the more interesting it became. And I'll be honest, like at, at the very beginning when I thought, okay, we're going to travel down and this whole kind of continent plus, essentially, because we spent a lot of time in Central America as well. I was worried that each episode was just going to end up telling the same story of this is an indigenous language that was spoken here. The Spanish came and now it's crushed. You know, I was really worried it was just going to become that. And it didn't because... Well, Guarani is a very different example, but then also everything else that we covered in their own right was so unique and the people that we spoke to. And it really just made us enjoy the whole places, like everywhere that we went just felt, everywhere that we went and made an episode, you know, felt so much deeper, that connection that we got from being there and from doing that than just places that we had kind of passed through a bit more um, kind of quickly or en route, you know, like Panama, for example. We just spent a week in Panama City kind of hanging out before we went to Galapagos. But Panama, I don't have as many memories of as I do, for example, Mexico, you know, where we made... Yeah, one one episode in, in Mexico. But we were there for a lot longer and we spoke with a lot more people because the thing is as well, when you reach out to people and say, hey, there's this really interesting thing that you know about and I'm curious about it. I want to talk about that with you. Do you want to talk? They want to talk, you know? It's not like English or Spanish where it is just like, oh, you speak English. Can we talk about that? Well, loads of people speak English, but when there are languages like this with, with smaller numbers of speakers and you show interest and, and like an open kind of curiosity there, people are willing to share that and are so generous, you know, with their time that it's just wonderful and, and really inspiring. Wow. You know, it's interesting you talk about just how open people were to talking about their culture and their experience. I think you really do change the dynamic when you travel to a place and you're then immersed in their culture versus if you were to invite someone to speak with you and it was sort of on your terms or, you know, they were in your own country you're sort of in this position, I want to sit necessarily want to say of power, but you're definitely in this position of comfort where like you're sort of in your sort of home zone, so to speak, and they have to adapt to you and adjust versus you really going there to where people are and saying, hey, would you like to talk to me? I think that really does shift the dynamic, not just in 
their willingness to talk, but also in what type of uh, responses you get, right? Because people, I think, are much more comfortable and much more fluid when they're when they're just in their own environment, right? And, and being able to talk to you, and especially when you show genuine interest, because people can really feel that. So I think that's really cool that you guys were able to take that trip. How long were you traveling in total? In total, I think it was like, it was just shy of a year, like 11 months maybe in total. But you're right, because even the third series we were going to film last year, and it was going to be about the UK. And obviously we couldn't do that. Even to travel in the UK, we weren't allowed. And so we had to kind of postpone that. But still, it's the same thing of like, it is power, I think. Like I'm, especially in, in the UK, where being an English person, like half of my kind of heritage is Scottish, but I'm born and raised in England. So being an English person to go and speak to someone about Scottish Gaelic or Welsh or Manx, for example, where it's English that has essentially driven these languages to the edges of the Isles, you know, I need to be going there. I can't just be saying, come here or let's talk online. It has to be let's go on your terms do you know what I mean and and I think for that series more than anything it's it's an important factor of it I think so where all did you go in Latin America you mentioned spending a week in Panama you spent some time in Mexico where else were you able to travel to oh so many places so we started we flew out to New York and then um, Montreal and then we went down from Canada to Cuba so we started really the Latin American kind of portion in Cuba so we were in Cuba for three weeks which was incredible then we went to Mexico Belize Guatemala trying to get them in order (laughs) where we went then I think we did El Salvador then Honduras Nicaragua Costa Rica Panama from Panama we flew to Galapagos um, and then to the Ecuador, um, Ecuadorian mainland, then Peru, and then Paraguay. Wow, so you really did cover a lot of ground. I do have to say I'm jealous. Galapagos is on my bucket list. I have not been there yet, so <laughs> you have to tell me about the turtles. <laughs> oh, tell me when. I will go again with you. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> it's just wonderful. So, all right. So I'm curious. So about uh, the time that you spent, since you went to so many different countries and you were talking to people about sort of not only just the indigenous languages, but sort of sort of some of the differences in the cultures there. What did you notice or what struck you as the most surprising thing through sort of all the places you visited that you didn't expect? Right. Like what was the thing where you were like, oh, I didn't I didn't know that that was a thing here. Or you just assumed it was like you mentioned earlier. Oh, there's an indigenous language here and Spanish came and took it over. What really surprised you uh, about what you learned when, as you traveled throughout those different countries? Ooh, I mean, I knew it was going to be an issue, but trying to say you like the word you right and to the point that I made a mini episode of language stories about this (laughs) because it was it just got so confusing because especially like we were overland entirely throughout Central America right so we'd cross the border and then it would be like okay I want to ask this person something but what version of you do they use here and You know, just we were just crossing like with no kind of chance, like at an airport, for example, you could check in the Wi-Fi quickly. Oh, what what do they use in this country? No, Um, that was really surprising. The the differences that were sometimes so kind of small from country to country. And, you know, like I say, we knew it was going to be a thing. Pronunciation as well. How like how does El Salvador have the accent it has? Like... (laughs) 
<laughs> you're like everywhere that you're against, like country-wise, all your bordering countries, I can understand them. How do I have to really tune in to understand a Salvadorian? Like, what's that? What is that? Seriously. Um, but yeah, it, it's... I think I think that was one of the big things for me because I was there like language brain on, you know, so that really stood out. <laughs> well, it's funny you said that I actually did make an episode of the podcast about the five different ways to say you in Spanish because it is so different. Right. And you don't know until you really start talking to people and it changes even within a country, like depending on what region that you're in, it can switch from like usted or tú or the same boss. Like you, you just don't know. Right. So it's it, it does shift a lot. and You kind of have to like be really attentive to sort of figure that out. So it's, it's funny that you that you mentioned that because I can imagine as you're just traveling and going through different places that you've got to make that shift every time to like kind of acclimate yourself to like, okay, what's the version of Spanish here? What's acceptable? What's polite, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I want to focus on your time in Cuba because... I love the Caribbean. This is Spanish con salsa. So we always talk about uh, Spanish in the Caribbean. Did anything in particular stand out for you about the Spanish spoken in Cuba? And just tell us a little bit about your time there and the places that you visited. Yeah, I think with Cuba, it's the, the, the obvious thing is the kind of like almost lack of written endings on words, right? So that especially like the S sound. But I knew that was going to be a thing, so I was expecting it. And that was then quite nice to, to hear because it was the expectation. Whereas, like we said, with the you thing, I didn't know which one was going to be, <laughs> going to be where. So that was like, oh, where are we now? What's it going to be? Um, but with the, with the Cuban like accent, I love that. Where did we go? We Because we flew from Canada. One of the reasons we managed to go to Cuba was because we'd gone to Canada and there were so many cheap flights to Cuba rather than other places in Latin America that kept coming up. So we're like, okay, obviously we have to go to Cuba now, which we were very glad about because it was somewhere that had kind of intrigued both of us for such a long time. So because of that, we flew into a place called Calle Coco, I think it was, and got a taxi straight out of the resort onto the mainland to a town called Moron. And it was really funny because, you know, we were there not to go to a resort, but to visit kind of Cuba itself, right? And so you drive off the island, we get to the Airbnb, surprisingly, that we'd managed to book for the first place in Cuba. And that night she's like, okay, so obviously you want to go to the beach, you want to go to Kayakoko, so I can arrange you a taxi, it's going to cost you $50. And I was like, whoa, we've just come from there. No, we don't, we don't want to go there. <laughs> and she was like, but you're here. Why, why are you here? You want to go to the thing, right? You're just here. It's like, no. And she like insisted to the point that she went out, came back a few minutes later and was like, look, I can get you on the bus for $5. And we're like, oh, if it's $5, okay, we'll go. We'll go for it. The next morning, it turns out actually she'd, she'd managed to get us a seat on the workers' bus. So... Cubans aren't really allowed in the resorts, or at least not this one, unless they're working there. And so we were then on the bus with workers. Everyone's wearing like a white polo shirt, ready for work. <laughs> and these two like pasty white, like, because we just started, we'd barely been anywhere. Skin had not even got sunburned. Like hop on the bus, like, hi, uh, oh, <laughs> what's going on here? So that was weird. 
And then we go through the checkpoint and, and this lady opposite us like hands a, a, a white t-shirt to me, like, put that on quick in case they come on the bus. I was like, I don't think, okay, cool. I was like, do you want one for him? He's like, oh no, he'll be fine. I was like, okay. I said, okay, Ash, you, you pass as Cuban. I clearly don't. <laughs> so that was quite funny. So we, we landed in Kaiko, who went to Morong. Then we went to Trinidad, which was very touristy, very kind of like visually what you would expect of Cuba, but very expensive compared to having been in these two kind of more local towns to get to there, you know? So that was a bit like, oh, okay. And then from there, we went to Santa Clara in the middle of the island, planned to be there for one night to then go on up, head towards Havana and stuff. But there was a hurricane that came, Hurricane Irma, so oh, we actually wow. got so you're there in the middle of the hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> we got stuck in Santa Clara for five nights and have no idea how the um, Casa Particulares host, her hostess, managed to find food. Like, all the shops were closed. Like, where are you getting all this food? It's just ma- magic how, how it happens. And then from Santa Clara, eventually, we managed to get a kind of shared taxi car up to Havana spent I think a night in Havana first before we then on to Vinales and then back to Havana to fly to Mexico there from there and what was your I guess your favorite place in in Cuba oh Vinales Vinales oh. why is that oh <laughs> it's just like I still you know sometimes when you kind of close your eyes and like you're going to sleep or you're meditating or something, right? And you, your brain takes you places. Vinales is somewhere that my brain just takes me from time to time. And I'm like, oh, I'm here again. Yay. Like we we stayed in. So there's, there's these places where you stay in Cuba called Casa Particulares, right? Which are basically B&B. So in the 90s, this became a thing where Cubans said, okay, we'll allow a bit of private enterprise. You can open up your house to tourists. So a lot of people took this on. They all have like a logo outside their house. So, you know, it's legit and they serve you breakfast as well as giving you a room and a, a somewhere to, to get clean. And the breakfasts are the best. <laughs> so good. They're just a huge plate, like fruit and oh, so much stuff. Coffee, like a flask. And because there were two of us, they would give us this flask of coffee, but I don't drink coffee. Right. And my husband loves coffee. So just could not help himself but to drink the flask the entire flask some mornings and this is cuban coffee <laughs> that's real coffee it's notoriously <laughs> strong so he would just be wired for the rest of the day <laughs> be like, i think i had too much coffee so but you, you'd wake up in vinales and where we were staying was this casa was right at the end of this street at the edge of the village and they've got these hills these like lumpy hills is the only way to describe them they're called mogotes and so this place at the end of the street very end of the town breakfast was just looking out over these hills over these magotes and the time of day the sun and the mist would just rise as we were sat there eating breakfast there'd be like a farmer going past with his ox cart a kid on his bike on his way to school you know it was like oh beautiful beautiful and there was a day where like i love caves which is probably quite weird I know but I I just find them very peaceful and there was a day where we set off to try and find this cave that was seen on the little map on the maps.me right and so we're like okay yeah cool we can get there so we set out on the footpath get to the next bit 
gradually it just gets muddier and muddier and muddier. <laughs> We're thinking, okay, huh. my shoes start like flinging off in the mud. Is that sticky? And we're like, maybe we should turn around. I'm like, no, we've come this far. We've got to get there. And so we keep going. And then we see this sign that says, Hugos. So we're like, oh, juice. Amazing. Let's follow the sign. So we follow this sign down this track. And then we see this little shack. And we're like, okay, this must be the Hugos, the juice place. Let's, let's go and see. And it wasn't, but it was a farmer who just happened to be there and not out in the fields who was like, ah, oh, wait a second, wait a second, came out with some cups of water to wash the shoes, then went back in and got some more, washed our hands off. And then was like, where are you going? We're like, oh, I'm trying to find the cave. Do you know, can we, oh yeah, yeah, you can get there. Do you want to ride a horse? And we were like, oh, and so I turned because my husband had said like, the one thing he doesn't want to do is ride a horse. <laughs> so I was like, Ash, quick question. <laughs> I was like, I think you're going to say no, but... So I said, oh, you know, I said, I lied a little bit. So my husband's allergic, you know, can't ride a horse. He's like, oh, well, we can go in the horse cart. So I was like, okay. I was like, that could work. So I said, Ash, <laughs> horse cart. And he said, okay, yeah. So we got in this horse cart and I was like, well, we, you know, we want to pay you, right? How much? He's like, oh, just, you know, five, five dollars. Like, okay, cool. So, um, so he took us around and like, he took us to this place where then it was like a, cafe but then also the guy showed us like a little coffee farm they had and then he took us to his huge shed and he just picked out some of his kind of freshly dried tobacco and made himself a cigar and he's riding along and then we get to the cave which we would never have got to on our own because it was quite a way away and there were these two guys there we're in the middle of nowhere what <laughs> how have these two guys got here and they're like, oh, hiya. Yeah, we, we, can, we can take you into the cave. I've got a light, you know, and uh, we'll show you around. You can go in. It's very nice. You can swim. Brilliant. Okay, cool. It's like it's, uh, $2. Okay. I'm like, just the entrepreneurial spirit of a place like Cuba, you just got to respect. And so we went in with this guy and uh, he pointed out a few of the stalag stalagmite, stalactite, you know, weird formation. So it's Mickey Mouse, that kind of thing. And we get to the end of this cave and it's just water and darkness. And he's like, there you go. There's no animals. It's about 18 degrees. You can swim. Have fun. And then he went and sat on a rock. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess we're swimming now. You know, so we went and had a swim on our own in this cave in the middle of Cuba. Then headed back, got a lift back with, with the horse cart and, uh, yeah what a day like you, you just don't expect and stuff like that doesn't happen in places even in other places in Cuba perhaps like um, you know like Trinidad where it is more touristy like that's Vinales still has that kind of magic I think yeah it's pretty special yeah, those are the kind of adventures that you, you really only get to experience when you travel. And also, I think what's really important about just the way you approached your trip is that you didn't want to just stay in the resorts. You didn't just want to, uh, you know, go to the places that all the tourists have pictures and put those up on Instagram and go, hey, I went to Cuba. Hey, I went here. That you really were interested in, in being able to talk to the people and experience things and go outside of the box, so to speak. So I think you only get those great stories like who ends up on a work bus in the middle of Cuba, right? If, you, if you're not willing 
to sort of open yourself to those experiences because there's some people who may have gone, ooh, no, this isn't for me. I'm sorry. I can't do this. So I think having that, um, just having that mindset when you travel as well. And I also think, you know, bringing it back to languages, I'm pretty sure that you wouldn't have been able to do all of that if you didn't speak Spanish. Oh, 100%. Cuba, like there are so many places in Latin America where you could still have some wonderful experiences without Spanish, right? Cuba, you've got to have something to work with. I don't think you necessarily need to be fluent, quote unquote, whatever that means. But the more Spanish you can have when you go to Cuba, the better your time there is going to be, definitely. Yeah, you may even get someone to take you to a cave and make (laughs) you a fresh cigar, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing that story uh, with us. I have been to Cuba as well, so I can co-sign for the Casa Particulares and just the amazing breakfast. It is definitely something that everyone should experience. I'm definitely in agreement with you on that. (laughs) So before I let you go, Lindsay, I do want to ask you a few preguntas en español. Sí, Uh, claro. Lista? Sí. Okay, entonces, porque este podcast es Learn Spanish con Salsa, ¿cuál es tu canción favorita en español? Ay, 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 solamente una canción. <laughs> sí, puede, puede ser más de uno, sí. <laughs> <laughs> pues sí, es uno, una creo que es La Gozadera. Ah, sí, eso, mm. eso también es de Cuba, ¿no? <risa> sí, sí. Y Gente de zona. Exacto. Y es porque es como es como un roll call de toda Latinoamérica. Y por eso, si tengo que escoger uno, eso es. Ah, sí. <risa> es una buena canción. <risa> sí. ¿Y cuál es tu palabra favorita en español? Uh, palabra... O una frase. Mm, mm. Me gusta sonrisa, porque suena como la palabra inglesa sunrise y significa smile. Y me gusta la, la conexión con mis uh, pensamientos en inglés, ¿sí? De sonrisa, sunrise, smile. Es, es una buena conexión. ¿Y cuál es tu país favorito de Latinoamérica? Sí, solo uno. Solo uno. Entonces, hay Costa Rica, sí, pero con Paraguay en segundo, pero muy, muy, muy cerca. ¿Y por qué Costa Rica? Porque es un país pequeño, entonces hay todo. ¿Qué quieres? Volcanes, playas, animales, todo lo que podría querer. Pero también porque la, la significación personal para mí, porque era el, el primer lugar en que yo viajé sola durante mucho tiempo y el primer país para mí afuera de, afuera de Europa, pero, pero eso es una mentira porque visit, visité Florida con mi madre y mi hermana antes de Costa Rica, pero en los Estados Unidos son más parecidos en ese sentimiento, especialmente Florida, sí, porque hay, fuimos a Disney y todo, bah, bah, bah. entonces Costa Rica es hay una significación personal por eso y eh, la última pregunta es ¿a dónde vas en tu próximo viaje? 
no tengo planes, pero en, en Latinoamérica o en, la, en cualquier todo? cualquier país. Uh, no sé, tal vez Portugal, porque es un país en Europa que uh, mi marido y yo no hemos visitado juntos. Sí, tal vez Portugal. Y también porque puedo hablar en portugués y él no ha escuchado um, a mí hablando en portugués antes. Ah, sí. Sí, sí. Solo un poquito en, en Brasil, en el aeropuerto, pero sí. Entonces, quiero eso. Es muy diferente y en Portugal eh, y en Brasil es como otro idioma, creo. Sí, sí, hay, hay cosas diferentes como gramáticamente y vocabulario también, pero creo que para mí es como mi español, que yo vivo en una isla sola, <ríe> población una, <ríe> soy yo, um, en, en, en el Atlántico. Con, con mi acento español y también con mi portugués, porque es una mezcla de verdad. Entonces, gracias, Lindsay. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with us on the podcast. And if folks want to get in touch with you on social media or they want to follow you and, and learn more about what you do and about language stories and all of that good stuff, where can they find you? Yeah, so best place is lindsaydeslanguages.com and you'll find all the links there as well. I'm Lindsay Does Languages in most places. So wherever you're at, and you'll, you'll probably find me if you search that. Okay, perfecto. Entonces, gracias, Lindsay. Gracias. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lindsay and that she's inspired you to travel more throughout Latin America and especially Cuba. Uh, and if Cuba is on your bucket list, make sure you check out the show notes page to this episode. Go to learnspanishconsalsa.com slash 115 for episode 115. Uh, and you'll find a special discount to check out our Cuban Spanish 101 course. This will teach you all about how Spanish is spoken in Cuba so that you get familiar with the accent and the hundreds of unique words and phrases that they use on the island. So if you plan to visit Cuba, you definitely want to make sure that you check out this course before you book your plane ticket. So learn Spanish con salsa.com slash 115 and you'll access a special discount for the Cuban Spanish 101 course. And also, if you want to check out some of the events that Lindsay hosts, uh, she is a part of a group. Uh, it's Lindsay Williams, Kirsten Cable, and Shannon Kennedy, uh, and they host Women in Language events throughout the year. So definitely check out Women in Language. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about their events, go to learnspanishconsalsa.com slash womeninlanguage. As always, I hope something that you heard today has helped you go one step closer from Spanish beginner to bilingual. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to the Learn Spanish con Salsa podcast at learnspanishconsalsa.com.